uh, Psalm 1 in your Bible, and uh, we'll take a look at this. One of my favorite psalms, one of the ones that's so encouraging and uh, such a great blessing. And we're going to talk tonight about the blessed man is like a tree. And a lot of metaphors in the Bible that have to do with fruitfulness and trees and uh, things like that. This one, um, well, when we pick up, like, let's go back to verse 1, okay? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. In other words, we don't live our lives by the advice of the world and ungodly people. Uh, they don't have anything to say to us because they don't, they don't have spiritual life. They don't go by the word of God. They don't have truth in them. They're living a lie. And everything they do and everything they make up leads us astray. We've got to be careful about that. We don't walk in their counsel or in their advice. Then he says, nor stands in the path of sinners. And to stand in the path of a sinner means we start participating with them. We've forgotten who we are. We strayed off of the path. And now we're going along with the crowd and we're kind of living in their world and doing what they do, standing um, with them. And then it says, nor it gets worse, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Who are the scornful? Those who just mock God, those who don't care anything about the Lord. And the progression here is we start taking their advice, then we start walking with them and living with them the way that they live, and then we finally get to the point where we just sit down and relax and have a good time and pretty much become one of them, and that's a terrible place to be. But there's a contrast here, and it says when we get to verse 2, but his delight, this one that's the blessed man, he, he doesn't live like that. His delight is in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is the scripture, okay? And in his law, he meditates day and night. In other words, he loves the word, he reads the word, and then he doesn't just forget it and walk away from it, but he thinks on the word, meditating on the word of God. And it's when you meditate on the word of God that it becomes a part of you. I had a homiletics professor he said that whenever you prepare your sermon, he said you need to work on it enough and meditate on the scripture and the things that you're saying enough so that it becomes a part of you. Not just an address, not just a lecture, but a part of you. And then he made this statement. This is true for any of us. Uh, if you're trying to parent your children and you want to use the word of God, this needs to be true for you. If you're a Sunday school teacher and you want to really reach your class, this needs to be true of you. Here's what he said. A message that is worked up in the mind will only reach other minds. But a message that comes from the heart will reach other hearts. And that's really what we want. The preacher was standing by the door one day and somebody said, your sermon today really stepped on my toes. And he goes, well, then I missed. I was aiming for your heart. And it's when the heart is affected that life really changes. And this is what this psalm is about in the verses that we just read. This is a person who not only knows the law and obeys the law, and they had a lot of them back in the Old Testament, didn't they? 630 some of them. But this is one who thinks on it and it becomes a part of him. It controls the way his mind works. It controls where his mind goes. It controls the way he acts. It controls the way that he reacts 
to things and to people. I mean, he's just controlled by the word of God because he is meditating on it and it has become a part of him. And so if you want to be effective in the word, whether it's as a parent or in your witnessing or maybe as a teacher or anything that you do like that, the word has to become a part of you. It's like somebody said one time, I know you're into the word, but what I really want to know is, is the word getting into you? Uh, sometimes we can walk away from it and forget about it, and we don't think another thing about it. Well, not, not the person who really wants to be blessed, not the blessed person. So are you one of those? And then he gives us, when we get down to verse 3, is where we're going to concentrate tonight. He shall be like a tree. Have you ever wanted to be like a tree? Uh, sometimes, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Batman. And uh, I'd put a towel around my neck with a clothespin. Remember clothespins? And uh, I would go around like I was Batman. And then, if, you know, if I had the notion, I would be Superman. And, and sometimes I would fly. That was the only thing I didn't like about Batman. He couldn't fly. But Superman could fly. And so, you know, we would go around and make the flying noises and all of that kind of stuff. There were different things I wanted to be. There were different athletes and musicians I wanted to be. Maybe an actor, you know, that I would want to be. But I never really aspired to be a tree. I'd climb up trees. You remember when you're a little kid and you first learned to climb a tree and you climb up and that's fine, then getting down is terrifying, you know. How do you get down from this thing? And maybe you call for your mom or your dad to help you down or something. And I remember doing that one time and uh, my dad just said, you got up there, you're going to have to get down. And man, it, that ground seemed like it was like 300 feet away and I didn't have a parachute and I didn't have my Superman cape on so I couldn't fly and I had to just let go. And you know what? It turned out okay. And I figured out that I could climb and I could get down. I liked I like that kind of stuff, and um, I like trees when they would give shade, you know, when it's hot outside and you don't have air conditioning in your house, which we didn't, and uh, boy, it's nice to be outside in the breeze and nice to be outside in the shade. I like fruit. We had a, a place we moved one time that had a, a peach tree in it, and the peach tree was about as tall as this pulpit when we moved in there, and it was a little skinny thing. And uh, it was kind of funny because that year it bloomed. And um, then uh, as time came along, it had one peach on it, one peach. And when it came time to pick that peach, I mean, that little tree put everything it had into that one peach. That peach was the size of a softball. I mean, it was huge. And it was really, really good. And uh, that tree was... You know, I like, I like eating fruit from trees. And when we were up in Albany, we would go in the fall to the apple orchards and uh, pick apples. That's always a lot of fun, and that, those come from trees. So there are good things about trees. I just never really thought about being a tree. Sounds boring to me. Uh, trees can't really move. They're, they're in one place, and uh, the only movement they do is maybe they sway in the wind and um, that type of thing, but, you know, wh who wants to be a tree? And yet that's exactly what the Bible says we're like if we're really blessed. So let's think about it. When you think about this, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, 
and whatever he does shall prosper. Well, I like that last part. Not sure about the other parts, but I like that last part. I, I want to prosper. And yet the Lord says, if I'm really going to be a prosperous person, and of course we let him define the prosperity because there are some people who are just, they're not just rich, they're stinking rich. You know what I mean by that? Filthy rich, we might say. And yet they're not happy and they have terrible relationships. They've been married a lot of times. They don't get along with their children. Nobody likes them. Um, Mr. Potter and It's a Wonderful Life, right? That kind of thing. And that's not what we aspire to. There's a different kind of prosperity that may include money and possessions. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not sinful. But it uh, is not guaranteed by those things. We've got to look at it a little bit different. And so why would God say that he wants us, human beings, to be blessed? And how do we know if we're blessed? It's because we're like a tree. Make you scratch your head a little bit. Well, let's think about this. First of all, consider this. God has some goals for you. He loves you just the way you are. He's just not going to let you stay that way. He loves you so much. He wants you to grow. And it's uh, kind of like, you know, whenever you have a baby and you hold that baby for the first time. Um, I remember when uh, Taylor was born and uh, he was 9 pounds and 15 ounces. Can you imagine poor Sammy for that first baby? And then the doctor said, ah, we should have waited another day and he could have been a full 10, a Texas-sized baby. We were in Dallas at the time. And um, I remember holding that big old baby, 9, 15, he was big. And um, he started to kind of squirm and cry a little bit. And I said, hey, 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 it's okay. And he turned his head toward my voice and he kind of quietened down. And the nurse was standing by me and she goes, you've been talking to that baby, haven't you? And I said, yep, every night I pray for him and talk to him. I want him to know my voice as much as he does his mama's voice. And just before he was born, I did this with all three of the kids. I took my Bible and opened it up and preached the gospel to them and uh, said, Lord, if it's true what they say that our babies are recording everything, even in the womb, I want them to hear the gospel. And anything that the world might try to put into this child, it has to crawl through the gospel first. I wanted that to be the first thing recorded in their minds. And so it was interesting that she noticed that. And uh, there he was. And I was a proud father. Proud father. And uh, we had them take the newborn pictures, you know, in the hospital. And um, I carried that around. And when I went to work, I would show people. And anytime I had an opportunity, I'd show them, that's my boy, got a baby, and all of that. It didn't take a little while when he changed. I quit showing that picture. Because in that picture, he really wasn't all that cute. You know? And, uh, you know, those newborn pictures are rough sometimes. Looked a whole lot better after he got a little bit older. And uh, he could smile and look at the camera. We used cameras back then. And uh, it would film in them. Remember that? And uh, I took some pictures like that. And, boy, they were so much better. Why? Because he had grown. And he started responding to us. You know, he started recognizing uh, a bottle. You know how they do when they do that and they start crying for it and, you know, take that. And then they start sitting up and then they start eating uh, more solid food or semi-solid food. 
really gross stuff anyway. And, um, you know, they, they grow. Because as much as I loved him the moment he was born, I mean, it was instant. And it was the same thing with Jenny, and it was the same thing with Chelsea, except um, when it's a girl, you girl dads, you know what I mean by this? First time I looked into Jenny's blue eyes, it, it liked to kill me. And it was much different than looking into my son's eyes. And uh, then Chelsea was the same way. Something about a daddy and a daughter. You know what I mean? And uh, I remember as much as I loved them, I would never want them to stay the way that they were when they were a little bitty baby. Because they were a little bit annoying after time. They didn't know how to do anything but cry. Anytime they were unhappy, they cried. If they were cold, they cried. If they were hot, they cried. If they were hungry, they cried. If they were lonely, they cried. I mean, that's, that's all it was. And uh, little Maverick with uh, Lottie, he uh, was talking the other day and says, I get so tired of her screaming all the time. Now, I understand that because it's kind of the way it is. And you don't know what to do for them. It's a whole lot better when they get to the point where they can tell you some things and, and say, I'm cold or I'm sad or I'm, you know, hungry or something like that. And then that's when you tell them, you know, you, you can't wait for them to talk and then you tell them to shut up all the time. But uh, you want them to grow and you want them to learn how to ride a bike. You want them to play baseball. You want them to... Um, you know, be a cheerleader. You want them to do, you know, whatever it is they want to do. And, and, and you have these things when they're little about, I can't wait until they're grown up. I wonder what they'll be like when they grow up. And, of course, they grow up. You turn around twice, and, and they're graduating from high school and then college, and then they're, you know, bringing some hairy-legged boy home. Well, unless it's Taylor. He brought a... I don't know if her legs were hairy or not, but um, you know what I'm saying? And then... Next thing you know, they're gone, and you miss them. But you wouldn't have it any other way. I'm too old to have babies hanging around the house all the time. And I would really be too old to have 36-year-old babies hanging around all the time. Are you tracking with me on that? It's the nature of things that they're born, they're cute, they're wonderful, but they grow, and they're supposed to grow. And they're supposed to reproduce and do all of those things that uh, those little bitty babies do when they grow up and when they mature. And it's the same way in the Christian life. When you think about people that get saved, they're born again, it's cute to see a baby Christian. But a 21-year-old baby is kind of ugly. 21-year-old baby is kind of off-putting. And some people just don't grow the way that they're supposed to grow. And they're still babes in Christ. Paul got frustrated with that, didn't he? The writer of Hebrews got frustrated with that. By this time you should be able to handle meat. But I'm having to give you milk again. Why? Because they weren't growing. And, and you know, when they're supposed to be a baby as a Christian, that's fine. That's fine. If you're a brand new Christian and you're a baby, good for you. You're wonderful. We think you're, we think you're cute. You bless us. You make us happy. But if you're supposed to be mature as a believer and you're not, you're a hindrance. You're a problem. You're annoying. We're getting tired of hearing you cry sometimes. You need to grow up. And that's the 
thrust of the New Testament. But grow, Peter says. But grow, that's a command, in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this is what happens when the, the tree begins to grow. The tree begins to grow here. And God tells us that we are like a tree and he has some goals for our life. He's sanctifying us. And when you think about a tree, some things that I wrote down here, I think about a tree and I think about stability. Stability. I think about the places that I could go today that I have not been for decades and I could go back to them and go, oh, hey, I remember when we planted that tree. My grandparents had three and a half acres uh, attached to their land and I helped grandpa back in 19... none of your business, plant the trees. And they just looked like little sticks back then. And uh, so we would dig a hole, and then we, he wanted them straight. He was kind of particular. And so I was the tree straightener before we filled it in. They were maple trees. And um, I remember being about eight years old then, and he would say, you know, you need to go a little bit to the north. Right or left, Grandpa? I have no idea which direction that is. And he would get so aggravated and he would say, you know, okay, to the left a little bit. We would straighten up those trees and pack them down and put them in. And a lot of people said they'll never amount to anything. I can take you to Rogers, Arkansas today all these years later and I can point out the trees that I helped to plant. There's something about a tree that you think about as being stable. If you've ever been to the Redwood Forests in uh, Northern California, man, those trees are old. They've been there a long, long time. And there have been people that have seen those trees and admired those trees that were long dead before I was ever even thought of. There's something that, about a tree that we think about stability, rooted and grounded. And that makes me think of the New Testament where Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus to be rooted and grounded, a tree imagery that's there. Well, that's what I think of when I think about a tree. I also think about a tree being fruitful. And I think about that little peach tree I just described. Bless its heart, it was kind of the, the peach tree equivalent of Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. You know what I mean by that? But man, it put forth that peach. And later on, as it got bigger, it put forth a lot of peaches. They were, they were good, unless we got a late freeze, of course. But um, that tree, you know, was, was productive in everything. And I think about when God says you're like a tree, he mentions in here for us about the fruitfulness. And it makes me think of John chapter 15. The Lord says that he's the vine and we're the branches. And the Father is the one who takes care of the orchard. And he comes in and what does he do? He prunes. And the word prune there can also be translated the word clean. And so uh, we think of it like this. There's some branches that are just kind of taking up space and nutrition that are not bearing any fruit. And so he cuts those off so that the energy can go to the fruit-bearing branches. We've all probably done something like that or seen something like that. But it also can be the picture of like a grapevine that's closer to the ground. And here is a, a shoot that is going to bear grapes, but it's kind of down in the dirt. And what the gardener or the King James says the husbandman would do is he would prune it and by that type of pruning he would lift it up out of the dirt, dust it off and maybe tie it up to the branch so it doesn't fall down so it has a chance to be in the sunlight and actually blossom and bear fruit. And the idea with both of those is the Lord wants the fruit. He wants the tree or the vine to be productive. 
So the question would be, when he looks at your life, what's he seeing? What's he seeing? The old uh, Wendy's commercial back in the 80s for all of the old people. Where's the... Yeah. Where's the beef? Where's the beef? Well, the Lord is asking a question of us tonight. Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? And uh, we'll... Lord willing, talk about that a little bit more next week because the Bible makes a lot of references to fruit of various kinds. But when I think of a tree, stable, fruitful, when I think about how useful a tree is. You know, um, we were taking a tour in Guthrie one time looking at all the old buildings and we took a trolley tour and all of that. And the, uh, the lady reminded us that when the settlers first came to Guthrie, she said there were no trees here. It was all just empty prairie. Well, there's a lot of trees up there now. And those trees had to be planted. Why would people want to plant trees? Why do we have Arbor Day for planting trees? Why do we want to do that? Because trees are useful. Well, let's think about the usefulness of a tree. Have you ever on a summer day been driving out in the country and it's hot, blazing hot, come by a pasture with a whole uh, bunch of cows in it, a whole herd of cows. And where are they? Well, right in the middle of that pasture, there's a big, big oak tree. And all of those cows are under the shade of that tree. You know, there's something about a tree. It's useful for the shade that it gives in the summertime. It always feels different in the shade than it does just being out in the sun. And if you're like me, my ancestors came from uh, northern Europe, especially from Ireland and places like that. And uh, I don't just turn brown. I burn before I ever kind of get a little bit of pigment um, going there. And I hate being sunburned. Now, some people like being out in the sun, and I like to lay out in the sun. If you ever want to torture me, make me be a sunbather. I don't like laying out in the sun. I don't like what it does. I don't like being sunburned. It, it gets boring, and uh, don't, don't, just don't care for it. But I like shade. Shade is kind of a, a neat thing. And trees provide shade, so I like getting over under the shade, sitting in the shade of a tree, and kind of relaxing. It's useful for things like that. But you know what? I'm not the only one that likes trees. It's not just me and the cows. But have you ever noticed how many critters are up in the trees? They're full of birds. And you don't even realize how many birds are in there. I went out to our atrium one time and opened the door and went out there. And there's a big, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what it is now that I'm trying to remember it. But uh, I saw birds up there. And just for aggravation, I shook the tree. Oh, man, there were like six million blackbirds or something, sparrows, I guess, that were all up in there. And uh, they were everywhere. And it felt like that movie, that Hitchcock movie, The Birds. And, uh, man, it was amazing. I had no idea there were that many in there. Well, when you think about it, trees that are in a forest or maybe even in your backyard, think about all of the birds that are in it. It's useful for them. They find shelter in it. They put their nest in it. They lay eggs in the nest that is in the tree. And little birds, you know, come out of that. Think about the squirrels that are in that tree and all of those things. It's useful for them. And God intends for us to be useful. He saved us, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, by grace through faith. But then Ephesians 2, 10, that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works 
that He has foreordained for us. And so you were made for a purpose. You were made, you're not saved by good works, but you were made to do good works. And you have certain gifts, skills, abilities, talents, relationships, so that you can be useful like this tree is. And then when a tree dies or when we trim branches off of it, they can be used for firewood to keep somebody warm or to do cooking if you have to do that type of thing. I'm thankful that we don't, but uh, people did that for a years and years and years and years and some places in the world still doing it a tree is useful you can cut it down and make furniture out of it or make a baseball bat out of it it's it's just there's so many uses for a tree no wonder they plant so many of them and we think about how good a tree is and we think about the fact that it's also used for food we think about when a tree produces fruit or nuts or something like that that uh you know, one of the aggravating things is birds might get into them or insects might get into them or squirrels might get to them. My dad had, uh, he loved black walnuts. And a lot of people his age, I've noticed, really love black walnuts. And he had a bunch of walnut trees on his 10 acres and he would get those things and he would get so aggravated when the squirrels would get to him before he did. And one time, and he had pecans too. And... Um, one time I went to his house and on his back porch he had a, a wire cage. It was probably about as tall as this pulpit and about as big around as my arms right there filled with walnuts and pecans. Thought, well, that's strange. What in the world is he doing? And when I went inside, I said, Hey, Dad, how you doing? We hugged and all of that. And I said, What is that thing with all of the nuts out there? And he goes, I'm just doing that to get back at the squirrels. I said, what do you mean by that? And he goes, they're always getting into them before I can, so I just put them in there, and it's in that cage where they can't get to it. And he goes, and it just drives them crazy when they see all of it, and they can't have anything to do with it. And he goes, it's called my revenge against the squirrels. And, you know, the squirrels like nuts. Where do nuts come from? They come from the trees. And all of these things show the usefulness of a tree. So when I started thinking about that, then when God used that metaphor, the blessed man, when I get through with him, he's going to be like a tree. And that's for any believer, okay? Well, then I started thinking, well, I would like to be useful. I would like to be stable. I would like to be productive. I would like all of that. And so then I'm like, well, good job, Lord. That's a good metaphor. I understand where you're going now. And I'm sure he appreciated my appreciation. But uh, secondly... God not only has some goals for us to grow, to be fruitful, productive, stable, not tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine, but uh, think about this. God has placed you where you need to be. Now, you notice the next phrase in verse 3 is planted, planted by the rivers of water. This is not an accidental tree. This is not a, a tree that comes up volunteer. This is a tree that is actually planted. Somebody put it right there. Do you realize you're put where God wants you to be? And he, you are put where you can be the most useful, and you're also put where you can receive the most nourishment because you're going to need it. And so you're not an accident, and where you are in life, where you are in your work, where you are intellectually, where you are relationally with other people, and where you are even in the body of Christ is no accident. You are uh, planted planted in that situation so uh, and think about the, the idea of being by the rivers of water means that you're constantly supplied 
with water. And then notice something else. You're not just by a, my translation says river, but you are by rivers of water. Now that probably actually ought to be translated streams. I read this verse in 27 versions of the Bible and all but about two of them had the word streams. And all but one of those were plural. Whether it said rivers or streams, it was always plural except in one uh, kind of weird translation. And I think the idea of this multiple streams coming to this tree and being by them, it kind of tells us there's an unlimited supply. The tree is always going to be nourished. The tree is always going to have its roots going down into the moisture and receiving the moisture and drawing it up to the tree. And so uh, when there's a drought and one stream dries up, there's water from another stream, multiple streams, an abundance of all of this that comes on. And uh, so when one is not everything it ought to be, the others are. And it reminds me of how we are in the body of Christ as we encourage each other and as we bless each other and those type of things. And it's always available. Steve Lawson says... The godly sets down deep roots into a reservoir which will never run dry. One that refreshes, revives, renews, cleanses, and satisfies those who draw upon it. And I think that's true. And I think God has an abundant supply. And Jesus talked about living water and um, abundance and the wells and all of those kind of things that are throughout the Bible. And so that would have been very important to the psalmist living in the Middle East like he did to not be just stuck out in the desert and hope the tree makes it, but it's by the streams of water where it's a, pretty much a guarantee it's going to make it. And that reminds us that as we walk with God and as we meditate upon His Word, as the blessings flow, He's going to make sure that we always have what we need. Okay, um, Let's go to number three. Y'all need to listen faster. Uh, God is glorified by your fruitfulness. It's not okay to not have fruit. It's not okay. John 15, it uh, tells us very clearly that the branches that don't bear fruit are taken aside and burned. That's a sign of a lost person. But Christians have fruit. Now, granted, there's sometimes you have to dig around through the leaves and then you find it. And it's a little shriveled up grape over here, but at least it's something, right? But the Bible says in John 15 that herein is the Father glorified that ye bear much fruit and that your fruit should remain. And so we need to aspire to be a fruit-bearing Christian that bears much fruit for the glory of the Father. After all, He has invested a lot in us. It's really aggravating whenever you plant trees, fruit trees. We did this when I was a kid, and they never amount to anything. And my dad would get frustrated because he put a lot of time and effort and stuff into that tree. Why isn't it bearing anything? And after a while, he would just say, oh, let's just take that one out. It's never going to amount to anything. Well, think about what God has put in you. He sent his son to die on the cross for you. The son bore the wrath of God in your place. That's why you can be saved. The Son of God was ascended to the right hand of God the Father and He ever lives to make intercession for you. 
He's your advocate before the Father. And also, Jesus said that when I go to be with my Father, I will send the Helper to you. And so God has invested a lot in you. Sometimes when we invest in a tree, there may be some bug spray we use, there may be some fertilizer, there may be some water that we put on it, we may amend the soil, things like that. Well, think about what God has put into you. And what does He expect? Fruit. Now, you and I can't make ourselves bear fruit. That's got to be the work of God. Just as a tree, that you, you don't go to an orchard and hear a bunch of trees going, Aah! do you? It's a natural thing for them because as the sap flows and all of that happens, it's natural for them to bear fruit. And Jesus said that we are to abide in him so that we can bear fruit. In other words, it ought to be a natural thing. And meditating in the Word, like the psalmist talks about, is the counterpart to abiding in Christ, being at home with Jesus, thinking about Jesus, being constantly aware of Him, feasting on His Word. And as His strength and as His power flows through us, bearing fruit is one of the most natural things in the world. And He wants us to bear fruit much fruit and this tree that we're talking about the psalmist says that brings forth its fruit in its season now this is something that seems to be a certainty not just a possibility in other words when god plants you by the rivers of water the rivers of his word he doesn't sit back and cross his fingers and say let's knock on wood and hope for the best it's a certainty that that tree is going to bear fruit. God doesn't waste his time. And so he's planted there and he bears fruit in his season. Well, we need to talk about that. What season are you in? I uh, would think when I was younger and didn't really know much about any of this, I would think that the season that really counted would be the harvest season. That, that's, when it, that's when it really matters. But as I learn more about it, I found out that every season has a certain purpose for fruit bearing in the life of the tree. In the winter season, the tree needs a rest. Everybody needs a rest. Even God took a day to rest, didn't he, when he created things. And the winter is a season where the tree can rest. It's not having to worry about leaves. It's not having to worry about putting fruit on or anything like that. It just rests. And what happens when the tree is resting? The roots are going deeper and maybe wider, spreading out. And the tree is going to be able to bear more fruit this next season than it did before because of winter. Winter is necessary for them. Then when you have spring, what happens? Oh man, all of the blossoms come out because you don't get fruit if you don't have the blossoms. And they have to be pollinated and all of that. And then you see the little bitty tiny apples or peaches or whatever it is you're looking for. And that's always kind of neat. And you kind of look at it. Boy, we're going to get a big, a big crop this year. There's a lot of them. And then summertime is the time what? When they grow. And you watch as they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Some of them fall off. Some of them get diseased or something, but you watch the ones that remain, they get bigger and bigger and bigger until fall. And then that time comes when it's time to pick them and pull them off. And the harvest, that's, that's the goal. That's what you really do. And so I don't know what season of life you're in. And you may be just feeling like I'm just dormant. I'm kind of in a wintertime thing. Well, go to the Word of God. 
And don't just get discouraged and give up. Go to the Word of God. That's always a good thing to do. And let your roots deepen in the Word of God. It may be that you are in the blossoming stage. Well, that doesn't mean you're going to bear fruit because sometimes, at least in Oklahoma, late breezes come and kill all of the blooms and there's no fruit after that. You don't want to just settle for blossoms. You don't want to just settle for other people going, ooh, ah, aren't you a great person and aren't you pretty? Because that's not really what the Christian life is all about, being seen by men and getting the praises of men. We want to get on to the fruit. You may be in the summer of your life where you are seeing the fruit, but it's hot and it is long and uh, you are fighting to kind of get the water that you need and to stay alive. Some of our trees at our house when we hit September, which is supposed to be a wet month and it was really dry, we had one tree that died and we had some others that really started struggling in that time. So, summer in the heat and everything is a hard time, but that's when the fruit grows. And it's not ready to be eaten. It's not ready to, uh, you know, have you ever picked fruit that was green and tried to eat it? Maybe when you were a kid, it's nasty. It's got to ripen. And summer is a time when that happens. And then fall comes, and that's when the blessing of putting the apples in the bushel baskets or the peaches or whatever they may be, that's just a great time. So always think about this. Whatever season you're in, it has a purpose because you're a child of God. You're his tree. You're his fruit bearer. But also, that phrase in there said, it bears its fruit. I don't think an apple tree ever agonizes because I haven't borne any bananas. Doesn't worry about it. Doesn't look around and say, oh, if only I were an orange tree, wouldn't that be great? Or a lemon tree or something like that. They don't. They bear what they are made to bear. You're bearing and going to bear what you were made to bear. And I don't know, you know what kind of a tree you might be if we could go that far with it, but I do know one thing. Whatever fruit you're supposed to bear is what you're going to bear. We've got to quit trying to copy other people and trying to be envious of other people and trying to be something that we're not because it ends up fake. If you ever see an apple tree with oranges on it, you know somebody put them there and that it's not real. You want real. You want the organic fruit that comes out of your life. How did God make you? Why did he save you? What good works has he preordained for you to walk in? Ephesians 2.10. That's what you're supposed to bear. And it'll be different than mine and mine will be different than yours. But together we will have much fruit to present to the Father. And that's when he is glorified when we bear much fruit. And I think that can also refer to not the quantity but, and quality, but also the variety of fruit. I think God wants a variety of fruit out of our lives and out of our church, and that is an important thing. So just be who he has made you to be and bear the fruit in your season. And your season may be a little bit different than mine. I may be in a winter season. You may be in harvest season. And uh, so don't get proud and haughty about all of that because my time's coming and maybe I'm in a harvest season and you're not, but your time is coming and that's all according to God's calendar, not our own. And then number four, think about this. God's plans, presence, and power gives growth and fruit. It says here, whose leaf shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. Well, how does a tree prosper? How does a tree prosper? Well, it has something to do with the leaves not withering. And so I started thinking about leaves. You ever heard of photosynthesis? 
What that means is the leaves, especially when they're green and have the chlorophyll in them, that they take the sunlight and convert the sunlight into sugars and starches that the tree needs in order to grow. Isn't that something? The tree doesn't just feed by its roots. It also feeds by its leaves, taking that energy from the sun and converting it into those sugars. And so that's, a, that's an important thing. But then again, the leaves... They can't do what they do unless the tree is bringing in moisture and nutrients from the soil, from its roots. And so it's kind of a cycle. And it reminds us that in the body of Christ how we need one another and how all of us need the Lord. We're never just self-sufficient and doing it on our own. We can never say to the Lord, I've got this. Uh, I'll call you when I need you. We need Him all the time. He is the life that flows through us. The leaves also indicate the health of the tree when you look at the leaves on a tree you look at them you go wow those leaves are looking kind of kind of yellow and turning kind of brown something must be wrong that's one of the things that first alerts you that there might be a problem trees indicate the health of the tree it also can tell you the presence of insects hey something's been eaten on these leaves we better do something or this tree is in trouble and uh, we think about everything we learn from the leaves. And the psalmist says that the man who is blessed, whose roots go deep into the word of God because he meditates on them, he's the one that even in the drought and the heat of summer, his leaves still look fresh. His leaves are still good. His leaves, we got a tree in our front yard that usually by the time you get into the middle of August, it goes, I give and just drops its leaves. And I've had a couple of years where I thought, man, I'm going to have to take that tree out. It's dead. Not dead. Buds out again in the spring and it comes on. It just doesn't have the endurance. Its roots apparently are not deep in the Word of God because its leaves wither. Well, I don't want you to be like that. And I don't want to be like that. And God doesn't want us to be like that. Because the church feeds off of you as the leaves. And we are supplied by what God gives us, but we also contribute. And the Bible says that we supply as members of the body what every other person in the body needs, what every joint needs. Yeah, we work together, and the Lord works through us. So I need you, you need me, and don't rob us of the blessing of laying out a church. Don't rob us of the blessing of not being fruitful. It's all a part of the plan and the way that everything is to work together. So how does a tree prosper? Well, it pro prospers by being content in being a tree. It's just happy to be a tree, doing what a tree does, doing tree things. And that's the way we're supposed to be, content in the Lord to be what He has made us to be and what He is doing in us. He has different plans for us. One plan is that we should be involved in the harvest in some way and another part of his plan is that we should all be holy and sanctified and witnesses to him but it just looks different sometimes and sometimes we look and we can say well we've just got a bunch of fruit yeah but you can have strawberries and you can have blackberries and you can have apples and you can have oranges I mean they're all fruit they're all fruit but they're all different they're all different and um I ate this past Sunday a piece of apple pie. Don't you love apple pie? I mean, man, it's good. It's good. But there are other kinds of pie I don't care for. You can keep pumpkin pie. I don't care for pumpkin and uh, that kind of thing. But uh, peach pie, oh, man, I love peaches. 
and uh, those kind of things that are good. But why are they good? Because there's one type of fruit maybe that you don't care for, but there's another type that you do. And we need all of it, and the Lord wants all of it. And so we want to be what He has made us to be. And we want to be fruitful. We want to be useful. We want to be helpful to other people. We want to be able to withstand the storms. And really what this is all about is just simply obeying God, getting into His Word, meditating on it, and obeying it, taking uh, nutrition from it. It's about obedience and just abiding in Christ. Now, there's a warning that uh, when we think about the thing of prosperity, there's a warning that God gave Israel in Deuteronomy 28, 25 through 29. You can follow along if you want to in your Bible. Deuteronomy 28, 25. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. Is that true of you? Then it says, You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. That's called a big-time defeat. right? The army's unified at first, now it's scattered. And now it really is no good. It goes on, it gets worse. And you shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. In other words, they look and they say, Oh, no, I hope I don't end up like them. Is anybody saying that about you? That's not the way a Christian ought to be. Then it says, And your dead body shall be food for all the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth, and there shall be no one to frighten them away. Oh, man, that makes you shudder thinking about that, doesn't it? And then it says, The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt. Hmm. And this one really gets to me. And with tumors and scabs and itch. You like to itch? That's what he says. Of which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness. Sometimes I feel like that's already happening. And blindness and confusion of mind. And you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness. You know, that's the way our world seems to be, doesn't it? And even some believers, it kind of seems like them. What are you looking for? I don't know, but I'll know when I find it. And they're walking around like a blind person instead of going to the light, the Word of God. Oh, but here's what I wanted to get to. And you shall not prosper in your ways, and you shall... Be only oppressed and robbed continually, and there shall be no one to help you. You know, in Psalm 1, it says that God wants us to prosper. And then in this part, God is warning Israel, if you don't obey me, it's going to be horrible for you, and you're not going to prosper in anything you do. In fact, you're going to be robbed. Is somebody stealing your fruit? There are times when you may go to a tree and you say, I can't wait to get that one particular peach I've been waiting. Where'd it go? Neighbor kids got it. Birds got it. Something like that. And it seems like today there are a lot of people who identify themselves as Christians, but somebody is stealing their fruit. 
How do you keep the enemy from stealing your fruit? It's because you put your roots deep into the Word of God and you meditate on the Word of God and you be what He has called you to be and you want to bear fruit, not for your benefit, but for His glory. Proverbs 28, 13, and 14 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. There's that prosper thing again. That may be why you're not prospering. You've got hidden sin in your life. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. But whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So the idea of prospering means I don't fall into calamity. I don't have those things in Deuteronomy happening in my life. And 3 John uh, 1 verse 2, there's just one chapter, says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. But then he has to put this qualifier. Just as your soul prospers. Oh, Lord, bless me. Oh, Lord, I need this. Oh, Lord, I want this. And the Lord is saying, not until you get your soul right. Not until you get your mind, will, and emotions in order. How do you do that? By meditating on the Word of God. In Isaiah 53.10, when Isaiah speaks about Jesus, you know what the Bible says about him? That he was going to prosper in something. It says, Yet it uh, was the will of the Lord to crush him. Well, that didn't sound like prospering. And has put him to grief. That didn't sound like prospering. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall uh, prolong his days. The will, listen to this, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. If you had walked by the cross, you would have been repulsed. The Bible says we turned, as it were, our faces from him. It was a disgusting, gross shameful, horrible, bloody situation. And yet the Bible says that while the Lord is bearing our grief and our sorrows and going through all of that, that something is happening that we couldn't see. You know what it was? The will of the Lord was prospering there on the cross. Why? Because that's what saves us. And when you look around today and you see that there are millions of Christians all around the world, how many did they start with? Well, there were only 120 on the day of Pentecost that were there. Look at us now. And we didn't do this. And we didn't keep it going. And we have benefit from generations past. Think about all of that. It was the work of the Lord. Why? Because when Christ died on the cross, the will of God was prospering in his hand. And we're the fruit. And boy, is there ever a lot of fruit. And when you get to heaven, you're going to see the fruit that goes back from the early days until now. And we're going to have a great time fellowshipping and uh, spending time with all the believers who have been there before us. People we've never even heard of and some of them that we've read about in the Bible. What a great time. And we're going to look around and say, Look, Lord, look what your death, burial, and resurrection produced. Oh, glory to your name. Oh, there's a lot of fruit and he's going to be pleased when he gathers us all together. So the question I'll end with tonight is, you like a tree, and here's the question, is the will of God prospering in your life? Is it prospering? You say, well, is there any other way? 
yeah, you can fight it all the time. You can resist it all the time. You can resent it all the time. Why didn't God do this? Why didn't he answer this? Why didn't he put me here? Why didn't he make me more like them? You can do that or you can be content and you can be what he created you to be and let the will of God prosper in your life as you abide in him and he abides in you. And as you start seeing fruit coming out of your life and there's more fruit and more fruit and more fruit and you put up with the different seasons because you know they're all necessary and why do you put up with them? Because the fruit is going to come as a result for the glory of God and the will of God will prosper in your hands as you surrender and as you submit to him. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. Father, forgive us for all of the times when we want, we want to be something that we're not. Forgive us for all of the times when we get envious and compare ourselves to other people. Forgive us of the times when we're not satisfied with what you're doing in our lives and we want something else. And it's not a holy dissatisfaction that propels us on in you. It's a fleshly, carnal, selfish dissatisfaction forgive us for all of the times lord when we're content to just have a little bit of fruit instead of much fruit forgive us for the times when we don't really care that much about the blessings of god we want the blessings of the world forgive us for the times when we're okay with our leaves withering and we don't really see much use in doing anything and we get frustrated and we disengage and we pull back please forgive us and take us, and take us, Lord, and use us for your glory. Put our roots deep in the river of your word so that we're always drawing nourishment. Let our leaves not wither so that they're always taking the light of the sun and converting it into food for us as the tree. Make it, Lord, so that we're protected from those who would steal our fruit. And Father, may we be amazed and astonished at how you have used us because we just simply did one thing. We were abiding in Christ because we found you to be worthy and we trust you and we praise you and we walk with you and your word fills our life and it controls our thoughts and our actions and even our reactions. And that's what we would pray for tonight that the word of God would have its way in our lives by the spirit of God for the glory of God. May we be effective. May we be fruitful, as you put it. And we pray this, Lord, because that's the greatest blessing of all, to be fruitful for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.